I want to share something this morning that uh, um, may stretch our minds a little bit. It may be a little bit challenging, um, but I want us to just uh, allow Holy Spirit to to bring it and to to wash over us and just to allow the the Word of the Lord to to settle. And um, I also want to encourage you that um, before you send any emails, just... um, just let us unpack this a little bit more, give us a few weeks, um, because there's so much um, that we, we want to share, and that's in the Word. And I just want to um, kind of encourage us this morning, even though at times, and uh, the God has done this many, many times to me, uh, even though we might think we know the Word or think I know what the Word's saying, um, it's always just to be humble and teachable and just open to, to listen and say, Lord, okay, speak to me. What are you saying? Amen. So I just want to pray. I say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that everything that I share, Lord God, I pray it comes from the heart of God. Pray, Lord God, that as I share it, Lord God, that we just would be open to hear the tenderness of your heart and who you are. Uh, I know in the natural, Lord God, our minds cannot comprehend, but by your Spirit this morning, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you would bring revelation and understanding that you would begin to set us free so that we can live truly the way you designed and called us to live, Lord. So just commit everything that's said here this morning into your hands. Um, Father, let your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So here we go. Um, I probably want to say just, I think, um, up front, uh, for... A lot of the history of, of the church, um, we have not understood maybe fully the picture uh, of God and the journey of God of what His desire and His heart was. And so because of that, we, we, we went back to our default. And our default really is in the garden. And, and so I'm going to just touch a little bit on that. But, but if I can give you the picture of God, the journey of God, it will help us understand sometimes the Scriptures and what God wants to explain and share if I understand what his heart and his, and his picture is, right? So if we go back to the garden this morning very quickly, if we go back to the garden and we have a look at the garden, we, we will see that um, God does this most amazing, lavish thing um, in that he actually personally gets into the earth that he created and he plants this beautiful garden and he prepares everything for man. Um, and then the Bible says that, and then he takes man and he places him in the garden, right? He was placed in the garden, in this beautiful thing. This was all done by God. And then man uh, is now being taken care of. Everything is beautiful. Uh, even God is, is walking with man. They're doing a whole bunch of powerful stuff uh, together. It's a, it's a beautiful moment, but God realizes as man is naming the animals and he's seeing everything in creation, he realizes that man does not have somebody to stand with him. Um, somebody to come alongside him, somebody to be like him, um, as valuable, as precious, as anointed, as everything, but to come alongside him to be a helper, uh, to be one that he could now convey with. Because you remember God had God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. They were very content. Uh, just so we also understand that, that God did not make man because he was short in certain areas, or thought, gee whiz, I'm not quite complete, I need actually something. He was complete in himself. But he chose this gracious 
act of grace to actually just uh, want to, to have a family, to want to partner, to want to, to want to talk with, to walk with, to want to experience life with us. So he creates uh, Eve, and now there's this beautiful union with God. Everything is operating beautifully, and, uh, and God, because he is God, um, he wants true love to be manifest, true love to be experienced. Uh, he has to create an option. Otherwise, it's not true love, then we just call ourselves robots, right? Um, so he plants two trees in the garden. He says, this is not, would not be good for you, this tree. So don't eat of this tree, eat of this tree. And then man comes along and goes, maybe um, God's trying to do something, withhold something. He's not maybe quite say, up to what he's saying, or maybe he's not what he's saying. Um, and then man eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many know this morning that it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Man's self-righteous attempt um, for him to achieve what God had already given him. He was made in the image of God. He was made in his likeness, right? Man comes along, the devil says to him, no, 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 God actually doesn't want you to eat that because then you will be like him. And you already are like him. Um, but So they were conned, right? So they went into that uh, place of self-righteousness. And from that moment on, everything shifted and everything changed. So what happened is there was a whole mindset understanding that changed. So what I want to do this morning is just make sure that we as the people of God have made the mind shift change back again. Amen. That we aren't still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thank you. Amen. Let me... Let me uh, also, just say this. Uh, you can if you want to. I'm just going to go there. In Ephesians chapter 6, I just want to read something in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Ephesians is a beautiful book. It's about the church, about who we are, identity, what God has created us to do and to walk in. And in Ephesians chapter 6, it goes on to talk about the armor um, which we put on in Jesus Christ. Um, and it talks about being strong in the Lord, put on the whole armor of God. That's verse 10, 11. Um, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace I don't know if you've ever read it like that before but there is shoes that God wants us to put on and these shoes are the readiness of given by the gospel of peace. So we must ask ourselves the question, why is the church not ready? Why does the church not have a readiness to go and to share this gospel of peace because God told us to put on those shoes? The reason why the church doesn't have the shoes of readiness is because it's not preaching the gospel of peace. See, it's the gospel of peace that creates the readiness to go and share. So what happens is we begin to minister the gospel from this other place, and Paul addressed it all the time in the New Testament, and from this other place, it's not that exciting and it's not something that we're quite ready to share. What are we not quite ready to share? 
But what we're not quite ready to share is that, don't worry, Jesus has done everything. Everything's all good. Just come to Him just as you are, and He will come, and He will do this miracle in your life, and He will transform, and He will change you, and He'll forgive all your sins, and then the fun starts. Because now what happens is, woohoo, this thing is not so easy. Now you're going to have to jump a few hoops. Now you're going to have to do a bunch of stuff. He's telling you, don't do this, do that. Uh, be careful of this. If you fail there, you're probably going to get a clap, but it's all right because don't worry. See, that's not a gospel I'm very ready to share. So here I am, journeying in my walk with the Lord, whatever. This is not so lacquer. I'm feeling a bit guilty. I'm feeling a bit ashamed and condemned. And everyone's telling me to go out there and tell people about Jesus. And so I'm going out there, whatever, and I'm going, oh, it's so beautiful, this gospel. It's a, Jesus is so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, you see, the reality is there's no readiness because we don't have the shoes on, because we, don't ha we haven't uh, understood the gospel of peace. See, what God wants us to do is to get a revelation, understanding of the true gospel of peace that will make us ready to go, want to go and share this because He's that good. Amen. He's that good. So what I'm going to share this morning might challenge you, but hopefully will transform your thinking to understand just how good God is. He really is this good. Amen. You see, one of the things that we, when we, when we um, um, sort of quote scriptures, we often quote them out of context. We just quote them so they can validate whatever our thinking is. Instead of going back and listening to the context. So here's a, here's a cracker. No, but God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And God's ways are higher than our ways. So mystically, I don't really know if I'll ever understand God and He's just higher than me and He's just, well, that can be totally debunked. But I'll first want to debunk it in this way. Where is that scripture from and in what context is that scripture in? So if you turn with me quickly to Isaiah 55, let's just quickly go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and verse 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's the scripture that he's quoting. In what context is that scripture being found? It's found in Isaiah 55. What's Isaiah 55 about? Isaiah 55 is actually talking about the gospel. You see, God's thoughts and God's ways are way higher than our ways in terms of the gospel. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end leads to destruction. There's a tree that man thought was, he was cleverer or clever to go and eat from it, friends, but the end result is, is that sin and death came through that tree. And man was eternally condemned because of that tree. And it has been God's desire always to get us away from that tree and to be back into the tree of life. Amen. The reality is for a lot of us, it's, it's so hard to understand the concept or the, or the, or the, or the, or the, the revelation that God is God and He's outside of time. And that he created time. And that he came and he broke into time to do the most miraculous and beautiful uh, 
moment in history through Jesus Christ. But for eternity, friends, when he broke in, eternity broke into time. Time did not break into eternity. So when he broke into time, friends, it was an eternal act, not a once-off act. We've got a, a, not a, a, a continuous act. It was a once-off act. So when we understand the gospel, we must understand what Christ did in this once-off act of obedience, right? I hope I'm expressing myself. So when we look at, at, at Isaiah 55 and it talks about the gospel, we have to obviously then look at the context of Isaiah and look at the context that 53 54 and 55 all operate together. How many know that there's no chapters, but it's a, it's a, it's a flow. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's written uh, straight off to each other in a flow. It's not written as little segments that we can just grab hold of for our fridge magnet or to put in our, in our, in our lunch boxes or when we need to quote something in the day that will help us get by. But it's actually a context of understanding. So to understand this, let me just quickly go back to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and whom has the arm of the Lord uh, been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. This is just amazing. He's talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is our Jesus. Understand now what he's actually saying here. Half the church doesn't even have a revelation understanding of actually what Jesus walked. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. And rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or sins of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Listen to this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. See, don't make God in your image. Don't make God in a man's image. Don't try and make God into the image you can handle, because he's God. So let him be God. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why am I emphasizing this? Because I'm trying to emphasize here that God is not light on sin. He did something in relation to sin, which the church still does not have a revelation of in the fullness of what he actually did. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. transgressors. He's talking here about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the work on the cross. He's talking about what Jesus did. He's talking about this incredible moment, uh, what, what Christ had to endure, what he had to go through. If you meditate on this, it's just phenomenal, all that Jesus had to endure. And then you see the Father looking down at his Son. And he's, it pleased the Father. It was the Father's will that he would put everything on his Son, or every bit of wrath, every bit of anger that he would crush, that he would, that he would uh, put all, lay everything that was to the account of mankind, he would lay it on his son. Not just anybody, his son. And then Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 comes in. You see, when you, when you start to read the word and it's flow now, we're not just going to win. It's uh, Easter time. Let's pick some scriptures out of 53. Flowing in the flow of the, this in the word, Isaiah 54 verse 1 starts off with something beautiful. It says, Sing. Something is changing. Something is happening. Hold on a minute. There was this horrific understanding of Jesus and him dying on the cross. Now suddenly, sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be no more. Will be, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Woo. Quickly flick over with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, if you go to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Sounds like the same, right? Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So Galatians, Paul is now sharing the same scripture from Isaiah 54. So to get the context of Galatians, let's just quickly go back to Galatians 4. Let's read from verse 1 <coughs> just to get an understanding of what he's trying to say here. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right? So what's the context? The context and understanding here is that Jesus is trying to tell us, hold on, God chose a race. He chose a group of people, which He had covenanted with. They were called Israel. They were under the law, but God chose 
at the appointed time, at that appointed moment, he chose to send his son, born of a woman, born in that race, born under law, to be raised perfect under the law so that we could be redeemed. Listen, um, born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So now there's this, this shift and this change where God says, now hold on a minute, there was a group of people who were deserving of the wrath of God, disobedient, who now suddenly I am going to cause them to sing. The ones that are barren, I'm going to cause them to sing now because greater are their children going to be than the children of the married one. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a family of sons and daughters because of what Jesus is going to do so that now these people can now have me as their inheritance, right? Sons and daughters, no longer a slave but a son and an heir through God. Sons and daughters. So let's go back to Isaiah. So sing, O barren one, who did not bear, for, uh, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the one who is married, says the Lord. Listen to verse 2 again. We quote the scripture so much when churches are enlarging and when we want to build a new building and we want to grow and what have you. Then we just go find a scripture. It's in this context of the scripture. It says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. What does that sound like? It sounds like he's talking and saying, things have changed now. Hallelujah. I'd put my hallelujah in there. Things have changed now. God is saying, enlarge your tent. There's something of flourishing. There's something of blessing that now can take place. Enlarge, grow, flourish. Sing, O barren one, with no fruitfulness and sitting there with no hope in life. God's saying, I've come along now and I've made a change in Isaiah 53. There's a shift that's now happened. Woohoo! There's a great shift that's happened. He goes on. This is Isaiah 54. Um, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. I mean, this is language that, ooh. Your offspring, oh, offspring will possess the nations and people will um, habit, habit, inhabit the desolate cities. The tape went off there, it's fine. <laughs> Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. He's talking about a people that have now come into being that were not, that are now. And he's saying, you will no longer be ashamed. God help us that the church is still ashamed. We must have got this thing wrong. We dare not, must not. He paid a price that we no longer be ashamed. Something has got to change in our psyche. Today, I'm going to explain what is going to change. Fear not, for you'll not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. I love this wording. For you will forget the shame. 
of your youth. Ooh. And the reproach of your widowhood, widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he has called. The Lord has called you. Oh, going on. Um, for a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you in the overflowing anger for a moment. I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Please take that out of your Bible if you're not going to believe it. The Bible says very clearly, I have sworn, like in the days of Noah, that I swore that never again will this earth ever again be flooded. As I swore in those days, I swore, I swear to you now, God says, that never again will I be angry with you. God has just sworn that he will never ever be angry with us again. Why in the heck is the church still thinking God is angry with them? See, this group of people here, God is not angry with us anymore. I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart, the hills be moved, my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And he just goes on with lavishness in verse 14. In righteousness you will be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. Oh. In righteousness you will be established, and you shall be far from oppression. He's saying this, this group of people here will be far from oppression. <laughs> you shall not fear, and for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. This is a prophecy about the church. Listen to this. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. He's saying, guess what? There was a group of people that was chosen, but I, in the appointed time, raised up a man in that group to create the plan and the purpose and the desire that I had from all time because I am eternal and I broke into time. I am not in time. I don't think like a man. I don't act like a man. I am not a man. I'm outside of a time. I'm eternal. So I had a plan all along in the whole plan was to raise up a person in this race, in this chosen race. And I'm not against Israel. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. God has a plan for Israel. And God's going to outwork that plan. But His plan all along was not just Israel. It was the spiritual Israel and the people of God. His desire and His plan was from every tribe, every nation, every single tongue. And if you read Revelation, you will understand that. Amen. So here he says, I've got a plan. Now I'm raising up this group of people from every tribe and tongue. And this group of people here, they're mine. I'm never going to be angry with them again. Nothing can separate me from the love that I have for this group of people. And they will arise and oppression will not even come near them and terror will not come near them. Whew. And certainly because of the situation and because we live in this world, strife will be stirred up. Stuff is going to happen. Shimmer me timbers hits the fan sometimes. Right. 
We live in this world, but the reality is, even though it hits the fan, it is not from me, says the Lord. Amen. And whoever stirs up strife, I'm reading back the word again. Whoever stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Ah. Man, when you read this, doesn't it stir up in your heart? You go, I want to be those people. (laughs) Whoop! They stir up strife and you're coming down, buddy. (laughs) Because of me. But the reality is I've done nothing. I've just been those people. So good, I just have to be there and God. Right? And I, I, I don't even want to go into this next part because I don't know when the church will be ready to hear this, but behold, I've created the smith who blows the fire of coals and who produces a weapon for its purpose. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, it says everything was created by God. There was nothing that was created that was not created by God. It even goes on to say, for him. Ooh. See, it can blow our minds because we've got a mind understanding of who God is. We need that blown. There's nothing that wasn't created that was not created by God. You know, I get this question many, many times because I love the garden and they ask me always questions. Why did God uh, create Adam and Eve, whatever, if he knew they were going to sin and and, uh, and I said, well, let me ask you this question. Why did God put them into a garden that had a thing called a serpent? Because he created the serpent. I can feel the freaking brains are going crazy. What I want you to know this morning, don't worry about that, I'll unpack it for you. What I want you to know this morning is that God is not intimidated by anything that he's created. And God has set a whole bunch of stuff in place. And he's saying to you today, listen, this is the people that I've called you to be. You don't have to worry about anything else. Just worry about this is the people that I've called you to be. And yes, there are weapons. Say, no weapon formed against you. Whoa. So weapons are formed. Yes, they are formed against you. But no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Where's that? In the next verse. Verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall, su- shall succeed, and you shall refu- refu- refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Isn't that wonderful? You shall refu- refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Oh, wow. And their vindication... If you've got a very good Bible, you'll see a little dit 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 there. If you look down, it says righteousness. And their vindication or righteousness from me, declares the Lord. And then we go into Isaiah 55. And he continues, come everybody who thirsts. Come and drink. Come, you can have this. You don't have to have any money. You don't have to have gold. This is for free. Everyone's looking at me like, really? Okay, let me just read it. (laughs) Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and 
eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for which, that, which does not satisfy? And he, he goes on to, to expound and to share so beautifully about this, this bride, about these people, about the church. Um, he goes on to talk about his word. As the rain and snow comes down from heaven and do not return, but waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout and giving seed to the sow bread, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish all that I purposed. And you shall succeed in the thing for which and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is so powerful. I almost want to say, if you can catch the journey and the heart here of God, is that He's created this group of people that He's now no longer angry with, that His love is eternally towards them. They've been set up for success, where oppression and things cannot even come near them, even weapons that are fashioned and formed, they will not prosper against them. He's risen up this group of people now that are just so mighty and so powerful, and now He goes on to say that also they're a group of people that have what in their mouths? The Word of God in their mouths, and the Word of God will not return void. They're a group of people that are speaking and declaring things that do not return void, but accompany for whatever it was purposed. This is a speaking church. This is a powerful church. This is a declaration church. This is a church who know who they are in Jesus because of the finished work of Isaiah 53. Amen. And this is what they look like. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. This is a very, very happy group of people. They will go out with joy. Woohoo! There's no sad, Mr. Saddy, grumpy. Uh, <laughs> there's no sad, you see. Yes, very good. <laughs> because when you understand this and you get a revelation of this, you suddenly realize, good grief, what is there actually to be sad about? I don't even know uh, why I should be sad because geez, this is like, it's almost, I, I want to say it's, 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 it's almost grant, what well, it is, it's grant proof. You, you can't fail here. This is 101 for idiots. God took care of everything. This is so powerful. It's so, it's so shockingly good that we, 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 we are. So it's tilt. I better go back. I go to my safe place. Let me just surround myself by law and what I've got to do again. Let me get back into this bitty, 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 bitty. Because here, I'm like, flip, this is, this is too, I'm freaking out here. Because now God's given me this ability now to be creative with my very own words. Where was I? 55, oh yeah. Uh, and just, I, I, let me stand still and just read it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains... And the hills before you shall break forth into singing. Oh, this is what creation's been groaning for. Oh, sounds like a scripture. Romans chapter 8. Creation groans. For what? The sons and daughters to arise. These guys, the mountains and the hills are, whoo! This is just not emotive language, friends. This is the reality of when creation... The creative voice of God that created everything in this earth is buzzing 
with his voice, excited to see the sons of God arise where they just want to break forth. I almost want to see that movie one day where creation, the mountain suddenly goes, it's almost like it's bursting to just sing once this happens. And I'm saying, God's saying, come on, let the people of God arise and let's, let's go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Ooh. Don't you love it as you're walking along as the people of God and the trees are standing there. For some of the religious minds, okay, I'm taking a bit of liberty. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. What's his desire? Make a name. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is so so powerful. It's It's such a beautiful, powerful picture. But I, I want us to understand that that is the plan. That's the purpose of God. Now into that. What's my time? Have I eaten it all? Okay. Now into that, I want, to, want you to turn to uh, 1 John chapter 1. There's so much more I could say on that. Please uh, bear with us. I'll, I'll, I'll unpack it a little bit. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is found in Romans chapter 9, 22 to 24. It's so... It's so radical. Chapter 9 is just a radical chapter because it's kind of sitting there saying, um, hold on now, if I chose, it was Esau. Should I go here? Um, God simply says, does the clay get to speak to the potter? If I choose a vessel of mercy and I choose... What he says in, 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 in Romans 9, 22 to 24, is he says simply this. He says, this was a group of people that were destined for wrath. I chose to have mercy upon them. That they might do what? That they might display my glory. Vessels of dishonor and disgrace. God says, I show mercy. Don't talk to me. I'm the potter. You're the clay. I decide. I decided to have mercy on this group of people. For what? That they would display and show my glory. There is a church that is arising in God, that God wants to display His glory. I'm not talking about anointing. I'm talking about glory. I'm talking about the presence and power of God. I'm talking about the manifestation of who He is. You don't have to struggle when you walk in the glory of the Lord. You see, what happens what, what, what happened to Adam and Eve? They were walking just naturally in the glory of the Lord. And when they chose their own path and chose their own self-righteousness to achieve in their own strength and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because you see, see, Eve looked at it and said, it looks good for wisdom. That's man. Now this looks good. This, this looks good for wisdom. This, 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 this kind of makes sense. No! It might make sense to your peanut brain, but it's not the God's wisdom. Man's wisdom is foolishness to God. And as soon as they ate of that tree, guess what they did? They ran and they hid. And then what they did is they decided, okay, 
best we can do is let's find a plan, whatever, in our wisdom, whatever. Let's put some fig leaves. And it was the first church of the fig leaf. The fig leaf church was created, and it's been, in, in, it's been ever since. It's called religion. Let's try and do our best efforts, but let's hide. Because I'm scared of the presence of the Lord, so the glory departs. So now there's no power. But hey, there's plenty of wisdom. I can still get on TV as a powerful motivational speaker who really cares whether I've got any power. But I can tickle your ears. I can make you, ooh, baby. And all the while I'm hiding with my fig leaf battling to cover my sin and who I am. And I'm full of guilt and I'm full of shame. Uh, Lord, mustn't I say that? Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I forgive me. See, most of the nonsense that's going on is in the religious church. So please don't tell me what I'm about to share with you, whatever happens, because we believe in grace and believe in the finished work of the cross. It's all happening already. It's just happening under fig leaves. And the rest of the world's looking, going, please, you can't fool me with those fig leaves. I can see, baby. And it's not pleasant. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> that sounded far better in my room than it did. <laughs> no. Okay. Where did I say we were going? One John, we're going to one John. Okay, so let's quickly go to 1 John. Oh, I don't have time, Lord, to really do this justice. Um, okay, so first of all, Jesus comes in, he breaks into time, and he takes care of us. And then, just while your fingers in 1 John, let's just quickly go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I just want to make a statement. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. And you who once were. Everyone say once were. Once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So he has already done this. To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Wow. So what Jesus did on the cross was in order to present me holy, blameless, and above reproach. But hold on a minute. Um, where are we going with this, Grant? Okay. Where I'm going with this is there has to be a transition out of this group of people through Christ into this group of people. And this group of people uh, have such uh, anointing and blessing and love uh, from the Lord that He's no longer angry with them. He, nothing can separate them from the love of God. They are just blessed in their coming and going. They can enlarge themselves. Uh, uh, 
relatively, <laughs> not physically, um, but they can, they can just, they, there's so much oppression can't come near them and no weapon formed against them can prosper. There's this huge transition that has taken place and these group of people now look like something. So what happens in the church is we say, okay, in order to make that transition uh, for what Jesus did and to get into this one now, you have to come to that place of acknowledging that you're a sinner, right? So we acknowledge that you're a sinner. We acknowledge that we have sinned, right? The sad part in that whole equation is, is when we say we acknowledge that we're a sinner, we don't fully understand what Jesus did on the cross. If I've got time, I'll touch on that very quickly. But we, we, we know that we sinned, and because we sinned, we are, are, are deserving of death, right? We know that Jesus came and he died on the cross for us, broke into time and uh, caused uh, to take care of all of our sins, to take care of everything um, in our lives so that we could now come out of darkness into his marvelous light by um, allowing him to come and to redeem and to set us free, right? I'm careful how I'm saying that because acceptance, we accept him. It's not in the Bible. Sounds like you got a choice, or maybe it's just see, I'll accept. No, we don't accept. We go to hell and die, or go to heaven and receive. It's not I accept, right? Okay. So there's this transition that takes place. So most of the church says, awesome, I'm in, I buy into that. Okay, so there's this point in time where we are come, and I give my life to the Lord, and, I, and I'm now born again as a believer, created completely new in God. And now what? Now I've got a journey. So God says, I've got this covered as well. I'm not just going to take you back to the point of Adam and Eve, uh, where to restore you back before they ate from the tree, because I know this thing is going to be a recurring movie. It's going to be on repeat for the rest of time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually come and live inside of you and divinely enable you now to live this life by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to come now, and if you say yes to me, I'm going to now come and inhabit inside of you, and I'm going to empower you now to walk this life. So then religion comes along and it says, okay, so, so we're covered up till salvation, and then after salvation, we've got a problem. Because most of us are still going to be naughty. So what happens when I'm naughty? Okay, if I'm still going to be naughty and I'm still going to sin, then I, I'm going to have to, how do I deal with that? So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to go before the Lord and I'm going to have to confess my sin, ask Him to forgive me of my sin so that He can restore me back into fellowship. This is the teaching of the church. So how many know this? Let me ask you these little questions just for you to think about how many know that um, whatever is not of faith is sin? If I don't do what I'm supposed to do, that's sin. If I, if I do what I'm not supposed to do, that's also sin. So how many know that it's very hard to keep track of sin? Right? Firstly. First question. Then second question, any sin will separate you from God. See, He's righteous, He's holy. You cannot come into His presence with sin. You're dead. Right? So having said that now, how do you now live a life of confidence and of belief in Jesus Christ if you don't know 
uh, whether you've sinned, haven't sinned, or whatever, you're conscious of sin, I'm not sure, I'm making sure. What happens if I sin and right that moment I die and go to heaven? Sorry, buddy. Shoo. Just before you died, you're out. See, nobody thinks about this process. Nobody, nobody goes down these roads. We just want to go, no, no. That's, so, so this gospel is awesome for your life that's been an absolute mess and that God just comes in and breaks in and now Jesus takes care of all that and all of my past. That's so beautiful. So my past taken care of. But now I'm looking out and now I got into some bad habits then. Now I'm trying to journey in my life and these habits keep coming back. So what I've got to do now, I've got to create a church with 700 departments of deliverance. 700 part departments of counseling. So I can take care every single time of the church because it trips up and things happen in their life because of their past and what they've journeyed. And now, flip, this is not so easy and it's not so lacking. Now I'm messing up and my whole concentration now in my journey is about me messing up rather than about Jesus Christ. And now everything in my life, I'm not living like Isaiah 54. I'm living like I was still unsaved. So now, God says, okay, let me explain the truth about salvation. And when I go here, every person that I've ever, takes me to 1 John every single time. And let me just go in this statement. And let me say this. When Jesus Christ died, and the Bible is full of it, and we'll unpack it. When he died, he died for your past, present, and future sins. When he died, he took care of all your sins. So when he took care of all your sins, friends, that means now I have become a new creature in Christ that doesn't have any sins. I'm now holy, blameless, and above reproach. This will blow your mind. So now, well, what happens if something had to, go, had to happen in my life, um, which I'd stumbled over, which was a sin, now what do I do? I'm saying there's a place for godly sorrow. There's a place to say, I'm sorry, Lord. But to go back and confess your sins and to ask Him to forgive you again is to ask Him to get back on the cross and die again. He's taking care of that. You have to go back to the place of the finished work of the cross, which is who you are now in Jesus. So if I mess up, I don't concentrate on where I messed up. I concentrate on who I am right now in God. So I want to say thank you, Lord, for who I am in you. So what does the Bible do to help us? And let me just tell you this and encourage you. You can search the New Testament, and please, you can send me an email on this one, and find me where Paul shared anything about confession, asking for forgiveness. And he wrote most of the New Testament. Do you, do you, you think that would not be an important topic? I'm going to go to 1 John quickly now because that's the one where people go to very quickly. But I want, I want us to understand that there is a journey here which is not sin conscious, it's Christ conscious. There's a journey now of the gospel where we can live in this place where we deal with sin because we are Christ conscious, not because we are sin conscious. Anybody who preaches the grace of God apart from transformation, it's perversion. See, when you preach the grace of God, it transforms, it changes you. It doesn't allow you to stay in sin and in the flesh. The grace of God, 
Titus chapter 2, I think it's 14, around about verse 14. It says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So how do I walk in the fullness that God's got for me? It's not to concentrate on sin, but to concentrate on Christ. It's not to get tripped up and to focus every time I get uh, 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 something happens in my life that, where I sin, to now go, oh, you see, sorry, Lord, whatever, that's me again. Phone a friend. Uh, let me go for counseling, whatever. You see, I don't know if I'm actually saved. I think this thing has really got a stronghold in my life. I think I might need deliverance. No, what you need is a change in mind, a change in thinking. Do you know that in the Old Testament, um, repent was to turn around, was to turn away, was to turn and go back to the original place. Teshuvah is the Hebrew word. Do you know the word repent in the New Testament? Repent. you know what it means? It's the Greek word metanoia. The Greek word metanoia means change the way you think. Repent. Re, go back to pent, like penthouse, back to the highest place. To repent, to change the way I think, this wrong thinking, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to go back to the original place, which is the tree of life where all purpose is fulfilled, where God is able to do what He's called us to do. So we read in 1 John, let me quickly tell you this, 1 John, here's 1 John, here's John writing um, in, this, in, in this letter, um, it's somewhere um, before 80, um, well, Jerusalem was destroyed around, around about AD 67, um, this is, so John uh, manages to escape with a whole bunch of Christians, they get out of the city and they go off to, and the, the theologians, the historians will tell you, they went to Ephesus. So they're here at Ephesus, um, so they escape that, that whole event that happens in Jerusalem. And now he's ministering out of Ephesus to all the different places. You'll remember in the book of Revelation, you'll remember he wrote the letters to the seven churches, all those different cities. The, the, the understanding is that he probably wrote this letter to those cities to the same churches in all those cities. So he's writing to them. It's not to anyone specifically, so it's to Christians. He's writing to them and he's sharing with them. And what's happened, if you study 1 John the letter, is that um, the Gnosticism has started to creep in. It's the early days of Gnosticism. It started to creep into the life of the church. What's happening with Gnosticism is they, they thought that you, they, there was some goodness in us anyway and that the, you know, we, didn't, we didn't sin. So, so now this is creeping into the life of the church. So John is writing now in this context to the Christians, trying to tell them and explain to them, be careful, you need to solidify, you need to cement your salvation and who you are in God, understand your salvation. Because basically, he, as he goes through in 1 John, there's tests to make sure that you are saved and that you are a Christian. If you read it, read it in that context. You always need to ask the question, who's it written to, why was it written, and what's the application of the writing, right? So, reading 1 John, uh, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him uh, is no darkness at all. If, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he's not talking about if you mess up and you sin and you're walking in darkness. If you're doing everything right, you're walking in the light. He's saying here, those that are born again, those that have accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts, that have said yes to Jesus, God is light. And where does God live? He lives inside of you. 
So light is now inside of you. You are now partakers and you have fellowship and you're in partnership with light itself. There's no yin, yang, bing, bang, bung, bang, bing, kung, wang, chung inside of you. There's no dark and light and some, this big black dog and that other white dog and whatever you feed wins. That's the biggest load of kalakalunga <laughs> that you've ever heard of in your entire life. The light of God is inside of you and you have fellowship. Inside of you is light. And in light, there is no darkness. And when you walk in the light and when you have this understanding and this revelation and you, jo- you joined with Him, friends, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from what? From all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What is he saying? He's saying this Gnosticism story that's come into the life of the church where people are going, no, but I don't have sin. What you are saying is that you have no need of the blood of Jesus. He's saying, no, hold on a minute. If you say you don't have, you, 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 you don't have any sin, whoa, hold on. We're all sin. And we're all deserving of death and we need Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus to come. That's, that's the statement that he's making here. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is He saying? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the point of salvation. If you come before me and you confess your sins before me, then He is faithful and just to cleanse us of how much righteousness, unrighteousness, All unrighteousness. At the point of salvation, friends, I come and I present my life and I say, Lord, this is who I am. I know I have sinned. I am needing the blood of Jesus over my life. And He comes if I confess. Then He comes and He washes me clean of all my unrighteousness, right? And then He goes on, just in case we missed it again, in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. For sake of time, um, verse 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Just in case we get anything wrong here and we go, hold on a minute, Woo! this sounds awesome. So Jesus took care of all of our sins. That's good. Hey, so we can just go out there and have a joel and do whatever we want. Yo, tonight I'm heading out to go and get some more, pile up some sins. He says, hold on a minute, let me explain to you my little children. Now he's talking to believers. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He has a radical thought, so that you may not sin. So you're not, because of who we are, doesn't guarantee that we're always going to sin. I'm, I'm writing this thing to you so that you may not sin. So you might sin. But you may not. Listen to the next verse. But if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, if you do sin, then you need to go and find a brother and confess your sins and um, ask the Father for forgiveness and, oh no, sorry, that was my Grant's Bible. Let me read read the, the true word of God here. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. What is an advocate? He defends our case, right? 
So if we do sin, we have an advocate. There's an advocate standing there. I don't have to now ask the Lord to forgive me those sins. I have an advocate who says, Your Honor, I died. I've taken care of that sin. I do repent. See, repentance is actually more for the church than it is for the unbeliever. The unbeliever comes into repentance when he gives his life to Jesus. After that, repentance is all about the church because they've got to change the way they think. They've been brought up. They've been homeschooled in the wrong school. Now they've got to change the way they think. So I believe in repentance. I even, if you want to go as far as to say, I believe in confession because I believe you can confess that which you, Lord, identify that. That's not who I am. I confess that's not the way a son should act. But now I'm restoring myself back into that place of identity of who I am in God. And then it goes on to say, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen to this. He is the propitiation for our sins. Isn't that a powerful word? Propitiation. It's actually the Greek word, helasmos, which you know what it means? It means I take the wrath of God and I turn it to the favor of God. Complete. That's what it means. Propitiation. Romans 3.25, you can go read it, use the Hrut word again. Um, propitiation. There's actually been a transformation and a change here from here to over there now. I was a guy who was needed the wrath of God. Now I'm a guy who's actually walking in the favor of the Lord because of what Jesus did. See, sin, the Bible then goes, so you might, you might ask yourself this question, wow, one John, it kind of shares this radical truth, and, and then John has to write, my little children, hold on, let me just make sure I'm writing these things so that you don't sin. Woo. Doesn't that ring a bell in your head if you skip back to Romans and you have a look at Romans chapter 6? In Romans chapter 6, don't worry, I'm, 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 I'm landing. I'm landing. In Romans chapter, chapter 6, after all that journey of of, uh, of, of, uh, um, of what he's spoken in chapter 1 to chapter 5, which is so powerful, it's so, so revolutionary. Um, um, I wish I could read it. Um, but basically, it's saying, Jesus says, I've taken care of everything. I've, you're now, you're clean. I've taken care of your, all, all your sin. The response is that Paul has to now quickly answer this by saying, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Same principle. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've just said some, shared something so radical, so powerful, that the response is, hey, great, so can we just go and sin? See, in order for, to share this message correctly, you have to have that response. Otherwise, you water down the gospel. And the response is exactly the same. What shall we say then? No, God forbid that we should sin. No, no, there's been a revelation here of understanding. Now, again, Isaiah 53, 54, 55, you need to read Romans. There's no chapters. You need to read Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8 all together in order to get an understanding of what I've just shared. Because when you read Romans 6, he tells you, hold on, reckon yourself dead to sin. You're dead to it. This is Paul's understanding is that sin has is, is no longer got a hold on you. It's finished. Then Romans 7 kind of goes, well, but you know, for those people that are under the law, they're still trying to achieve and work and earn and deserve under the law and feel condemned. And because they're feeling condemned, the, the things that they want to do, they don't do. And the things that they do, do, they don't want to do. And they're in the do-do. And then you've got chapter 8, which now comes and says, 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So when you look at the, the, that understanding, you realize, hold on a minute. If we, if we get this thing right, there is only one thing that can block or stop us, and the enemy would love us to stay there and to keep us in that, and that's guilt, shame, and condemnation. You know, in, in Romans chapter 8, I'm landing. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So God is for us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how would he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is for us. He, he did not even spare his own son. He gave his own son. How much more now will he freely give us all things? How many things? All things. So just think about it. God is for you. He's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. God is for you. This arena here, God is totally for you. And he's so for you that he did not even spare his own son. We have not, not even understood or experienced or can't even think about that, that actually a father who would give his own son. He never spared even his own son. And if he didn't spare his own son, which is everything, how will he not freely give you all things? They're all ours, right? Well, not if you insist. Thank God that we are not. Listen to what it says. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to what? Condemn. Why does he bring that word up? Saying this is what God, this is who God is. But let me ask you this question. Who will condemn? Oops. Condemnation will be the one thing that will stop you from freely receiving all things from the Lord. Guilt, shame, and condemnation, they work together. They're the three tools of the enemy. Guilt is for you and I to still believe that we have not been forgiven. Shame is to believe that that's still who we are. Condemnation is to believe that there's punishment or judgment on our lives. Condemnation, I, I, another time this morning to, to show you how God takes care of condemnation. But condemnation can rob you of living in this realm. And condemnation is only there because of sin. As long as there's sin, there's condemnation. So God knew all of that, takes care of all of that. Now says, I want you to live in this place where you celebrate me and you live for me. And 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, we no longer regard each other after the flesh. Now I'm regarding you after the spirit. Now I don't regard you after the flesh and as a, uh, after sin. I regard you now as a saved, born again, son of God. Amen. I'm landed. Can I give them a teaser? So I'll get them coming back. Do you know that in Exodus 3.14, God comes to the people of Israel and he tells them, say this. Moses said, who must I say is telling me this? He says, tell them that I am who I am. 
Tell them that the great I am says that. Jesus comes along into the earth. And he says, and they say, who are you? And he goes, I am. In John's gospel, seven times he says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the fountain of life. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. And now we find ourselves in Christ. And if I find myself in Christ, I now can begin to declare, I am a son of God. I am the righteousness of God. I am seated in heavenly places. See, you begin to operate from I am, not from I was. Then the Bible says, the present and the future are yours. See, shall we stand? I'm fully aware that all the cows have left the meadow and they're running freely. <laughs> they're running around in the meadows. And so I'll leave that up to Connor. I'm going on leave now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, what we want to do is unpack it slowly. And I just wanted you to... Sometimes we have to shatter the meadow and the cows, blow up a few of them, and leave the steaks to rot because they're not even worth eating. So I just want, I want to pray for us this morning because I've said a lot. I know some I can, I can feel in the spiritual realm. Uh, these things always just kind of, it's so amazing you can, you can preach the law and, and the people go, yeah, okay, that I understand. If I do something wrong, I get a clap. If I do good, and I get a cookie. Um, and God says, no, that's not what it's about. I want a relationship with you. It's not about right and wrong. It's about me. So, Lord, I just thank you today. I've said a lot, Lord, maybe uh, embarked too ambitiously on a lot of uh, things. But I just thank you, God, for your word. I thank you that's so rich. If anything this morning, I pray that this word has encouraged us to go and study it again. Pray, Lord God, that where we've maybe sat in church for years and years and listened to sermons and, uh, and thought certain ways of thinking, that it's challenged us this morning to go back and make sure that's what the Word of God actually says. Because the Bible doesn't say laying hands in a whole bunch of ministry. It says the truth sets you free. True freedom comes from knowing the truth. True freedom comes from metanoia, to repent. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. There was something else going on in the earth. There was a bunch of people that had been led astray by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Jesus was coming to say, repent, change the way you're thinking. There's a whole new world that's come breaking in here. It's called the kingdom of God. And so I pray today, Lord God, that the kingdom of God would begin to break into our minds, into our hearts, into our understanding. I pray today, Lord God every single person here, Lord God, that where they've lived maybe under guilt and condemnation uh, and shame, Lord God, that they would lift off their lives this morning in Jesus' name. That they would realize that they were forgiven, past, present, and future, all of their sins, so they could live free of sin. So I pray today, Lord God, that this would change lives and that from this moment on, Lord God, people would begin to see you rightly. 
I pray, Lord God, of every single person as they go out into the week, Lord God, that you would stir their hearts. They would begin, Lord God, to get freer and freer in understanding the gospel. And I pray as they get freer in the gospel, Lord God, there is an excitement and a readiness on their sh- in their shoes to go and share this amazing good news. In Jesus' name, amen.